1: Welcome to the Tim Demos Show Podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com.
2: Oh, there we go. Wait, hey, now it's working. Are you playing with stop? Yeah, you, you amuse yourself, don't you? That's really great. All right. Have a nice day. I'll do the show myself. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah. Turn broken when it's not, <laughs> and you're changing the music. I don't even know what time it is now. I'm all just kebab I know. I'm
3: switching things up on you. Yeah.
2: Thanks for nothing. So, we have a lot of clouds this afternoon. Breezy, high 41. Cleared night low 20. Sunny tomorrow, high 39. This is a trend. When the sun comes out, the temperature's going down. I don't get it. It's supposed to be the other way around. Saturday and Sunday, 50 and 55 for the highs. Warming up a bit. I wonder if we're going to get snow. I know some people are like, that's totally fine with them, and you're one of them. Am I right? You don't mind if there's no snow? I'm no, not...
3: I'm, I'm not a fan of snow. I love snow.
2: No. I mean, at least once in a while. I can't get it's, it's already almost March. We really didn't have anything.
3: I'm sad because it's because of climate change, but I'm happy because I don't like snow.
2: Oh, well. All right, and you're sure it's climate change? Yes. You're positive? Yes. Are you going to take the show a different direction than I was planning on? Yes. It's four oh three seventeen, and already, never mind. <laughs> Flyers are at Columbus. I'm sticking with the facts. They're playing Columbus at uh, seven o'clock tonight on the road. Sixers home against Brooklyn at eight, and climate change is happening. Um, I'm hoping for snow, one way or the other. I can't control that, but I can root for it. I guess I can pray for it too. It's just fun to get out there with the kids, run around, peg your neighbor with a snowball, stuff like that. Don't you think that would be fun? No. Like when your neighbor's taking out the trash and not looking? No. You throw a snowball, knock his hat off, and run behind a bush? And no. Like, None of this that?
3: sounds fun to me.
2: That doesn't sound fun? No.
3: Let's you know, Let's sit by the pool and tan. Okay, and...
2: well, that's fine, too, in its own season. That's one benefit of being in Pennsylvania. I will say that. I love living here. I've lived here my whole life. Have you lived in the tri state area your whole life? Yeah. Pretty much. So it's nice. You have changed the seasons.
3: It, yeah, it is nice. And I like that I can wear sweaters because I like sweaters. That's and it. Cozy up on a blanket, but I no, I stay inside.
2: When the fall comes, you have the sweater weather, the coffee, the summer it's all different. Now I have I've had family in other states and we have visited Florida, as you know. My son's going to college there. When you get there, it's just kinda of one temperature all the time. I mean it goes a little up and down, but it's kinda of, you know, I really don't get much variety compared to the way we do here. I think it's a beautiful uh, a benefit of being in the tri-state area. Uh, so that said, the couple things, and we have a special guest going to be joining us, by the way. His name is Todd Chipman. He's author of a book called Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. And it's a neat story because he both uh, himself, he was adopted and he and his family have adopted. Uh, I think it's twin girls. So we'll be talking with him because he knows, and he's a pastor. So, but he has an interesting twist on this. It's not just we should adopt, or we should, you know, people should step out in other people's lives. But he actually talks about it in the context of a whole church being involved. So it's not just uh, isolated people here and there within a church, but how a whole church should, um, how, and the benefits actually of it, uh, of helping surround a family, uh, how it benefits the whole church overall. So we'll talk with him in a little while. Um, before we do that. Couple quick things. A quick note here from Ruben. Ruben sent an email. Thank you, Ruben. Just a couple lines. He says, just, literally says, actually, just pausing to say thank you for the auto show tickets. Octavia and I had a good time. And that's your listener, Ruben, uh, checking in. And, you know, Ruben, thank you for that little note. It's nice. Officially, the only one I think who's actually said thank you. I like it. Not that you have to. But you know, you might—it's a little bit of work to put all these things together. And it's just nice to have a, a nice note back, and more than that, to know that he and, yeah, I guess, his daughter had a good time. Yeah. So that was last week. What are you eating? Okay, sorry, I cough drop. <laughs> oh, you're not eating. You're just okay. Yeah, I get distracted. Squirrel. Um, <laughs> also, congratulations to Sergey in Collegeville and Judy and Taylor, Pennsylvania, plus Diane in Clarksburg, New Jersey and Grace and National Park, New Jersey. They have also become winners with the radio station recently in our Ministry of the Month contest. Every month we like to feature a different ministry on the station. And uh, this time around, it's Family Life, which you can catch a couple of times each weekday, 9 a.m. and 1.30 a.m. with co-hosts Dave and Ann Wilson and Bob Lapine. Been on the radio station for a lot of years. Uh, We're giving away prayer card sets, variety of books. There's a grand prize you can win right on our homepage. Hard to miss. The uh, Ministry of the Month banner at WFIL.com is where you can enter. So we're making winners every day. Be part of that. And that's just a couple of the things we're doing. There's really a lot of fun stuff on our contests and surveys page, and we're working on adding even more. So get to that every now and again. Check it out. Participate in stuff. You never know what you might win and also what you might learn. There's some good things on there, too, and and information on the ministries on the radio station. So check it out at WFIL.com. We also speak in the prizes before the hour is through. We'll give away some more spots at the table for our party this coming Sunday at China Garden in Willow Grove. You've been hearing us talk about that's noon till three. It's in the Regency Square Shopping Center at the intersection of Fitzwater Town and uh, Six Eleven in Willow Grove. So that's noon till three. It's a very delicious and affordable buffet. Nine ninety five for adults, five ninety five kids twelve and under. We are giving away some spots at the table and a table of four buffets as well. If you want to get entered. WFL.com, go to the contest page, and uh, we'll draw some winners near the end of the hour, so that will give you a chance to get signed up for that if you have not yet done that. Fair enough? Now, Danny, because I know you're just jonesing for more presidential trivia, right? I am. You look like you're going through a presidential trivia withdrawal over there. I
3: am. Thank you.
2: This past. Besides, what flavor is that?
3: Lemon honey. That's, that sounds good. Yeah, it is.
2: Cherry's my favorite. I have a though. little
3: tickle in my throat. Oh. So I figured, how can I hear that?
2: Wow, that's an nice executive decision off. that you you, know, you made there. It was a good job by you. Thank you. So Monday was President's Day. I produced and came up with a boatload of presidential trivia. Danny was actually out that day, and I had to do all the extra work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to take too many more days off, would you? He even had to produce the show, and it was a fine time. We had a lot of calls. It was lovely. But then all the trivia I came up with, we just didn't have time for because we were kind of doing a contest that day. So I just had a couple more little dribs and drabs. You ready? I'm ready. A little fun facts, really. Um, before he became our nation's 38th president, Gerald Ford actually had a side gig as a model. Wow. Yeah. And uh, in 1942, right before he joined the Navy, he had an uncredited spot on the cover of Cosmopolitan. In his uniform. And then it was at, at that time he met uh, a fellow model, Elizabeth Bloomer, who wanted becoming First Lady Betty Ford. So they were both models. What wow. What do you think of that?
3: I just looked up the picture. Yeah. Good looking man.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little fun fact about President Ford. And uh, another one that's kind of interesting. Andrew Jackson, on another topic, completely unrelated, <laughs> he had a pet parrot. Okay. And uh, during his funeral, <laughs> the parrot started shouting obscenities. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know you do. <laughs> so, And they actually had to take the parrot out of the funeral.
3: Oh, no. Yes.
2: I don't know what they did to the parrot, but he had to go out of the funeral. Um, the president was a former war hero known for a tough exterior. So it really didn't surprise anybody that maybe the bird had picked up some foul language along the way. Where's the rim shot when you need it? Thank you very much. And uh, there you go. So that's just a couple of more fun facts. There's some other ones. The presidents each had interesting code names, too, kind of based upon where they came from. President Reagan's was Rawhide, uh, partly as a result of his love of ranching and appearance as an actor in a lot of Westerns. Are these
3: their Secret Service code names? Yeah,
2: Secret Service code names. Rawhide. Um, Jimmy Carter, we talked about before he was his, his special secret service code name was Deacon. And, uh, of course he was on the religious side and an active member of his church. Uh, Bill Clinton's was Eagle and George HW Bush's was Timberwolf. Sounds like he could have been part of, you know, the Marvel series or something.
3: I like that one. Yeah.
2: So those are just a few that they had. If you had a code name, what should your code name be, Danny? We could come up with one for you. Oh, that's
3: a good question. I'm
2: going to call you Sporty.
3: Oh, all right. What do you think? I'm okay with that because I like Sporty Spice.
2: Sporty I'm Spice Girl. Oh, yeah. All right. Great. <laughs> I'll have to keep working on that. I don't ch- mind Sporty. Troublemaker. Let me think. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm just thinking it. So, anyhow, that's just a little bit more presidential trivia as it is, of course, President's Day week. Right. All right. So we'll take a quick break. And don't forget, if you want to win a spot at the table for this coming Sunday's party, we're looking forward to it very much, besides the food, the chance to just hang out together for the afternoon and uh, and be there. We'll have some prizes. In fact, I can even let you know what those prizes are, some of them, in a little bit because we had a prize par- par- party, prize planning session, whatever, earlier today. So I can even tell you more specifically what they might be. A little later on the program. But WFIL.com is where you go. Click the contest tab and get yourself uh, signed up. And hopefully you'll win a spot at the table or maybe even a a table of four. We'll draw some winners at the end of the hour. Back with Todd Chipman, author of the book, Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. It's coming up in just a moment. WFIL. Thanks for listening today. You're
1: listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons four till five on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com.
2: It's 415, the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL.com and on the WFIL app. Thanks for tuning in today. We bring in our guest, author Todd Chipman. Hi, Todd. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining our program today. My pleasure. Yeah, the book that we're going to be chatting about, Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans, caught my eye. You had a lot of books come through the office here in Philly, and that was one of them that jumped out uh, as something very important and special. Um, and so before we get into the book, just share for a moment a little bit what what you do and, and, uh, and then how this book came about, what brought you to, to writing it. I am a pastor in Kansas
4: City, pastor pastor a Baptist church here in town, and I also teach at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I teach New Testament studies, uh, Greek, those kinds of classes. And what prompted this book, really, that lens, uh, the, the biblical studies lens, in cooperation with the pastoral lens and my personal experience. Yeah. So putting those together, uh, I am adopted. I was uh, Adopted as an infant, Uh, I was adopted from Nebraska Children's Home and uh, the product of a a true uh, one-night stand, so to speak. Hmm. My biological parents met when I, uh, well, I wasn't alive yet, obviously, but they met one time, and I was uh, around nine months later. Uh, But everything I know about them is on a two-page letter from Nebraska Children's Home that uh, my, my biological mother, when she found out she was expecting, was kicked out of her home. And uh, she boarded with a physician in Omaha, uh, Nebraska, before I was born. And once I, I came along, I don't, don't know anything else. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents, the parents who adopted me, uh, explained this to me when I was very young. One of my first memories is my sister and I sitting across from our parents. Uh, my sister is also adopted, uh, not not a biological sibling, but a true sibling, yeah. and we uh, listened to our parents explain this to us, and to many of your listeners, when they hear about this kind of an experience, and, and maybe they have friends or family, or, or they're adopted, and uh, it's difficult to think about the scenario of their origin, but for me, it just wasn't a big deal. I didn't even think about it, In hmm. fact that uh, when the conversation would come up, I would Delay for a minute and then think. Oh, that's right. I can actually say something here because I'm adopted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a, but it just, it yeah. just Took a few minutes because it wasn't a problem for me. So as I grew, I knew that maybe this is something that God would have me to do someday. And my wife uh, had some experiences of seeing folks foster and adopt. And uh, after we were married, we thought about it some. The Lord blessed us with several biological children. So it wasn't until our oldest was headed away to college where we began to consider it more fully. And I write about that scenario in my book, Until Every Child is Home, yeah. because uh, what, what God did for me in, in providing me a family I wanted to do for someone else, in some ways that gave me a frame to think about the Gospel and how God has given His people the gift of forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life. And these two ideas go together, that what God has done for us in the Gospel Compels us to give that away to people, and some of those people are are kids who need the gospel and need a family.
2: Todd Chipman's our guest; he's author of "Until Every Child Is Home: Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans." So your story is kind of like a double story on the front end for you personally, and then as an adult, you and your wife uh, adopting. And you know, one of the things that's interesting too about your story, you know, you were born a year or two shy of the Roe v. Wade decision, right? So uh, ruling. So I mean. Yeah. that 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 I'm sure that's a fact not lost on you. Had abortion been legal at the time that you were born,
4: yes, and I, I write about that in the book. It's roughly 500 days. Uh, so if I'm 500 days later, I, this conversation is not happening. Um, wow. Likely, I mean, I'm I'm the product of exactly what the abortion industry would call an inconvenient choice. Just just uh, you know, make the choice, get rid of the child. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, if the if the woman is going to be kicked out of her home right. because she's pregnant, just end the pregnancy and stay home. I mean, it's simple math in that regard. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I am so grateful for the Lord's providence in my life.
2: Well, let me ask you this too, along those lines. We'll um, share. I'll, I'll share this this thought every now and again. The idea of being, you know, pro life and and all that. So people sometimes equate that with literally voting and laws, and that's all good. But I'll sometimes say, what are you doing in between? The, you know the 4 years or 2 years in between pushing a button or casting a ballot like what are you doing with your life so your your biological mom was you know kicked out of her home would there have be you know somebody along along the way then who would scoop her up and say we'll take you so that you can have a place to be that's pro life mm-hmm. open your house up and let a, a young woman have a place to stay and and, as, and mm-hmm. as long as necessary that kind of stuff is a lot harder than just championing the 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 cause, so to speak, you know, theologically or, or philosophically, what are you doing? And in your case, you said you, there was a home in Nebraska that, uh, what was that path? Do you know much about how you wound up there? And and then when at what point were you actually adopted? Um, you said young, but I didn't know how how many years old you were.
4: I was an infant, so I was just one month old. In fact, my, my parents got me on Halloween Day, so I always teased them, you know what you were getting into.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh,
4: But my mother boarded with a a family in Omaha, and I I don't know anything about them. A a physician took her in, and that was just the Lord's kindness to care for her. So I was in foster care for about a month. I don't know anything about that uh, scenario either. But folks, obviously, doing just what you said there, between the button and the ballot box those years, uh, lots of opportunities uh, to to take kids in and to be a refuge for, for these uh, difficult situations.
2: Todd Chipman's our guest. The book is called Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. If you want to win a copy, send a text to 610-500-DOVE, 610-500-3683 with your name and the word home. Let's do that and we'll be drawing some winners later in the program. Back with more in just a moment WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show
1: podcast with AM 560 WFIL and
2: WFIL.com from The Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL with author Todd Chipman. The book is called Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. James 127 comes to mind for me right away, and I know it's in your book that religion God our Father sees as pure and faultless as this to care for the widows and orphans in distress and also keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Uh, and, and your book talks about that and also that this is not just an individual thing. In fact, the, the whole church really came alongside you and your wife and, and and how that that's the emphasis in a lot of ways. Uh, share about that whole that whole church concept, whole church involvement concept.
4: When we uh, began to think about taking in kids, as I mentioned a moment ago, our oldest had uh, recently moved away to college. So we had an open bedroom and we attended an event that focused on the family Puts on in their wait no more ministry that profiles children who are in the foster care system here in the United States and whose parental rights are severed. So these are true orphans in the United States. They may be in foster homes, they may be in group homes or orphanages, but they are, um, they are free and clear, ready to, to have a forever family. And we went to an event and we left that event, Tim, just struck by the needs uh by the opportunities that we had it was an event for pastors to inform their churches about these opportunities when my wife and I left we knew it was for us and it was our opportunity so we began to uh go through the foster care classes and adoption classes and along the way early on i informed leaders in our church of of what we sensed god leading us to do at that point i had been pastoring our church for about 14 years and uh, at that point, folks knew me well. That's a, that's a decent tenure for a, a church leader. Sure. Uh, and they, they came right alongside of us and said, yes, we'll pray for you, we'll support you, let's do this together. At that point, none of us knew how good it would be for our church. Yeah. This is the irony that I write from, and that, that, that your uh, listeners need to understand, yes, foster care and adoption are difficult. Yes, this may put a strain on the church, but foster care and adoption provide avenues for churches to benefit themselves. We get to know the gospel message better. We, we grow theologically. We are able to engage the Great Commission as we do this. We have opportunities for evangelism. We are able to deal with racial issues because racial issues will come up, taking just one or two steps into this ministry, and there's often a a case where we will have to think about having someone of a different race in our home. We have an opportunity to interrupt the chain of supply that sex traffickers find in the foster care system in the United States. We have opportunities for church leaders to exemplify what it means to love the least by advocating for these ministries and even taking kids into their own homes. We have opportunities for people who have hospitality gifts, who have discipleship and mentoring abilities, to come alongside these families and children and spend time with them. And in some ways we saw our church grow in each of these areas as we foster and adopted. So that is the real stimulus behind the book, is my experience, not just being adopted, but going through this process and seeing how good it was for my church, how it brought to life people's giftings, how it provided avenues for them to do ministry in a practical way.
2: Todd Chipman's our guest. The book we're chatting about, Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. And I think you put it in the, uh, near the beginning of the book, uh, uh, summing up a little bit what you just said, that caring for orphans is not just a goal, but a means. And right, I mean, it's benefiting all those areas of, of ministry. Um, so it, because it can be viewed as an as an end, and it is, but there's a lot that happens. Uh, really, what it do, what it's doing for all the life of the church, really. So,
4: yes, yeah, that's it. It's strategic. So if, if you're a church leader, you're often thinking strategy. How can I best help my church to engage the cultural concerns of the day, abortion, racial uh, concerns, and and strife? How can I help my church to stop sex trafficking in the world? Uh, well, these ministries are going to, uh, foster care and adoption ministries are going to be a part of that, and strategically so, helping children along the
2: way. Yeah, and and along with that then, uh, obviously you, the story, I guess it was it Maggie and Molly, I think the girls? Yes,
4: those uh, are their code names. Um, <laughs> that's not their real names, Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Maggie and Molly.
2: Yeah, so just take a second, uh, you know, explain a bit about that, that holistic picture, how the church came around you individually, um, you know, helping, whether it was a crisis type thing or just socially every day, making sure that they were included in stuff and going to parties or events and uh right up until the day the church is in the courtroom helping and just supporting when the adoption became official.
4: Yes. Yes. it's, it's, Thrilling even to think back uh, now, several years removed, of those early days when we brought our girls uh, into our home and to church, and older ladies in the church began to wrap around them, to color with them, to eat meals with them. And we had common meals at church uh, activities, to teach them to crochet, to include them in other birthday parties that kids had and so forth even when it was rough, even when they didn't necessarily uh, have the social skills that other kids had at their ages, they included them. They made them feel a part of things. And one of the principles I write about in the book is that the church is a relational ministry, and it has the capacity to help these kids who need relationships. And so as families would come alongside of us and hang out with us and invite us and, and the especially older generations and this is something and that many um folks don't don't realize is the intergenerational power of the local church is exactly what kids in foster care need. They need to see multiple generations of adults interacting in ways that do not involve crime, drugs and sex. Because that's what's been their life, many of them. And if they can see adults playing games, not in an overly competitive way that's going to lead in violence end in violence, uh, if they can see adults enjoying, laughing, eating meals together, if they can see adults praying for one another, loving one another self-sacrificially, they start to see the power of the gospel It becomes attractive to them. Uh, and, and this is what I experience in our church over and over. And what I try to help churches to strategize for when they have families who foster or adopt.
2: Todd Chipman, our guest, until every child is home, why the church can and must care for orphans. If you want to win a copy, send a text to 610-500-DOVE, 610-500-3683. Your name as well as the word home will put you in the mix. A lot of clouds to forecast for the rest of the afternoon, 41 the high, low of 20 the night. Sunday tomorrow, a high of 39. Flyers at Columbus at 7 this evening, and the Sixers are home against Brooklyn at 8. We'll keep our conversation going in just a moment on WFIL. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show,
1: weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's
2: 436 in the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Uh, chat with author Todd Chipman until every child is home is the book why the church can and must care for orphans. And before the break, we're talking about how the everyday stuff, you know, your church did and and walking alongside you and your family uh, as Maggie and Molly first became part of your life, lots of work, self-sacrifice. And then the day comes where everyone's in the courtroom uh, as the adoption's about to be official. How much do you remember about that day? And, and you know, in, in a way, those moments also help cement all the work that's going into getting to that, a day like that.
4: Getting tingles even now, thinking about it. I recall the day that we had the adoption. Our attorney, though we had met with him several times, and he uh, is, is a Christian and had done many adoptions, He was very forthright with us that morning, and he said, I want you to answer just yes and no. This is going to be completely scripted, and I want you to be very formal. I don't want any extra stories. I don't want any extra. He said, I don't want any hiccups in this so that it goes smoothly. And he was very, again, forthright. Hmm. So we we went through our our, uh, plan, and he called my wife up. She went uh, exactly yes, no questions. He answered uh, and the courtroom was packed, uh, overflow with people from our church that were there. Well, when he was asking me these questions, Tim, he stopped for a minute and looked back at the uh, the, the courtroom uh, participants there, just the, the, the galley, so to speak, and he said, just off script, so he's now going off script, and he said, can you promise that these kids will continue to get the love and support from you and your church that is here today evident. And it, it just blew me away, Tana, because he was forthright with us. I'm going to say this, you reply this way, I'll say this. And he just, he was overcome. Here's a professional attorney, overcome in the courtroom, and and I just said yes. And I think back to those faces that I see, and I see them now uh, in, in our church family, and uh, just recognize God's goodness in uh, in mentoring these kids along.
2: It must have been very, very powerful. And I'm thinking he's he's basically saying less is more. Don't make this complicated so that the judge doesn't raise extra questions. And now we're off yeah. on the side of the road, right? I mean, that kind of the idea.
4: That's it. And and then he went off script. But here's <laughs> here's the real, just providential blessing. A woman who is a member of our church uh, is a court reporter in the county where the adoption. Takes place here in Kansas City in this specific county. Well, she arranged with the judge for after the ceremony was done for the judge to give the girls American Girl dolls from the bench Mm. that our church had gotten them. I mean, this is this was made for TV. You know, (laughs) you 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 just can't make this stuff up. And and I can't guarantee this is going to happen with you know every couple who fosters or adopts. But I can guarantee this along the way. God will provide moments that are that are public, that demonstrate His greatness and His supremacy. He, it may not be in a courtroom. It may be in a grocery store. It may be on the athletic field. But people will see the gospel at work as we take children into our homes.
2: Todd Chipman's our guest. The book, Until Every Child is Home. And again, to bring home the point in your book that this book could actually be from either direction pastor uh, could you know pastors could benefit from it, but also people in the church could benefit if they kind of are aware of this concept and want to bring it to their pastor's attention
4: yes exactly, and uh, I think pastors who have that kind of a a mindset will recognize that foster care and adoption ministries are actually Means of growing other kinds of ministries in the church. Yeah. They provide a certain kind of community for a church where guests come in and they see that this church is serious about the gospel. They see that this church isn't just going through the motions, but they're they're in the trenches. The, uh, Russell Moore writes the foreword for my book. He's the current president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. I recall several years ago, hearing him speak about this issue. And Russell Moore is a very articulate man. Many of your listeners may know him, and his books uh, heard him speak. And at this particular event, he struggled to find words to explain the the character of churches who foster and adopt, who have that kind of an official ministry, leadership gets involved. He said there's just something palpable about those churches. And when you go in and you you participate, you see that they are engaged in the whole process of life and ministry. It's it's not just people going through the motions. It's not just attendance. There's something real about it. There's something proximal and near. And he just struggled to get words. And I think that's true because uh, unless you're experiencing, you really can't put it into words. But once you see it, uh, you will continue to try to put it into words because you want the people to know about it.
2: I just think it's a brilliant idea to be reminded and think it, it, it's not like you go, to, you can think about, I go to church, I hear the pastor speak, we sing some songs. I, I relearn some information. I hear it. I go out and then I try to apply it as though it's a hundred or 200 or 500 people all doing that and then going out. And if the ministry, so to speak, is happening under the roof of the physical church, it might be teachers with Sunday school ministering to within, but the idea of adopting, and and coming around a family now, like you said, all the things connected even to potential situations for the child in, in question, where they can, their background, the, the race, all those things, sex trafficking, but possibilities. Now you're actually. A, you're ministering without, you know, from what, outward, even though it's in in your church, so to speak, right? You're ministering to people coming in. You're welcoming them, and you're mm-hmm. dealing with all these different things. Rather than let me think about what the pastor said and see if I can go find someone to to try this out on, you're actually practicing right there, and it makes I would think it would make scripture come so much more alive within the mm-hmm. within the context of your own church.
4: Mm-hmm. Exactly, it does, and and it rallies people together because it's a. A difficult task. And believers, uh, one of the, uh, the phenomenon that is true of, of believers in churches is that they rally when times are hard. If someone in church has a difficult go, boy, the church steps up. And I know your listeners are thinking of uh, vignettes where they have recognized this in their, their own churches. Well, the same is true with foster parent adoption. You get a few families who step into this and sense God's call. Well, the church rallies around them. Their small group begins to intercede, begins to plan how they're going to help with meals, how they're going to begin to mentor and spend time. And this is where, the, again, that relational component is is what the church can do, and that's what these kids need. They need relationships. So it's spending time, it's mentoring, it's being involved Uh, and that's what the church
2: can do. Todd Chipman's our guest. The book's called Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. Text 610-500-DOVE. If you want to win a copy, 610-500-3683. Your first and last name and the word home will put you in the mix. More to come in just a moment on WFIL.
1: Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL?
2: Email D at wfil.com. 4:46 and the Tim DeMoss show, comes down the home stretch of the program with author Todd Chipman. The book's called "Until Every Child Is Home: Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans." You mentioned uh, earlier, and whether it was a, just a blessing that God happened to have for you in your life, um, that you know the fact that you were adopted, and when you found out about it, it, it wasn't a, a huge thing for you personally. But often it is for others, where it, it you know it sets off some other feelings and, and wondering about their history or their worth or whatever it might be. Um, do you find, or is there a, a wisdom that a local church could have as they would be embracing children who are being um, brought into the mix, uh, you know, and ad- adoptively, like whether it's to treat them just like everybody else, whether it's to treat them a little extra special, like a little mini superstar, you know, of sorts, or whether certainly not to ignore um, or treat as a burden, but is it just the dynamics in and around a wisdom about how to, how to welcome someone into the community. Yeah.
4: Yes, I think the principles would first try to be just as sensitive as possible because those kids may have come out of a difficult situation and the transition is so hard. This is something that, that uh, churches and adults, when we're taking kids into our homes, into our churches, we need to recognize that they're coming in, but they're also leaving behind. And that transition is tough. Uh, it is scary for them. And so we need to just be really gentle and slow, maybe not extra uh, care or privilege, but just giving them a lot of margin. But over time, hmm. continually treating them like other kids, just in the same way. And so our children, this is a story, just a, an example of this in our own home. We uh, had four biological girls in the home, when we uh, brought Maggie and Molly in. And one night, this was probably the first month that we, that we were together, uh, getting dinner out, and one of our older girls really likes cucumbers and grabbed a bunch of cucumbers. Uh, Maggie really likes cucumbers. There were no cucumbers left, and she pounded her fist. On the table, I want cucumbers. Just she was just set off because there was there were none left. So <laughs> I get I like that sometimes. Reached over, <laughs> I reached over to my older daughter's pile of cucumbers and grabbed a fork and said, "Let's share some of these." Right. So that let Maggie know that this family is a place of equity. It's a place where fairness is going to come up, and she's going to be treated with care. And to help my older daughter to know that we got to look out for other people, not just ourselves, even food distribution. I'm happy it was vegetables, by the way, <laughs> that she really wanted and not just candy. But uh, yeah. that, that's just a, a, a picture of, of trying to do that now. It probably would be okay at times to say, hey, no need to throw a fit. Just, um, just ask. You know, We're, we're going to get you taken care of. And, and kids need to know that they're going to get taken care of. And uh, the church has the relational matrix to
2: do that. I love that. That's great. That's great. Uh, I've been chatting uh, today with Todd Chipman. He's author of uh, the book you have been chatting about today, Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. Todd himself adopted, shared a bit of his story with that. Also, uh, he and his wife have adopted and have also five biological children. And, um, you know, stories are a great thing, and they drive home the point in a lot of different ways. And maybe we could conclude our time with just one, one of the many, you know, that are in the book. Uh, on page 75 and 76, something that struck me, uh, the couple David and Heather Platt, and um, they talked about, one, you know, one of the quotes that that, that they said was, we learn pretty quickly that orphans are easier to forget if you don't see their faces, they're easier to ignore if you don't know their names, they're easier to overlook if you don't hold them in your arms. And that was part of their story of of when they went, I guess, to Kazakhstan, and uh So anyway, maybe you could just share a a little bit of their story and and what God did for them. And, uh, you know, because that personalization of things or the the story you shared, too, um, these are real people. It's not a concept that we're supposed to be trying to tackle or do or check off our list. These are real human beings made in God's image.
4: Yes. David and Heather Platt are one of the the families that I profile in my book, and and one of the uh, realities as I began to foster and adopt myself, my wife and I, and begin to think about this, we recognize that there are a number of Christian leaders who have done this. And David Platt, uh, now pastor of McLean Bible Church, was president of the International Mission Board of the SBC. I mentioned Russell Moore. Uh, in in uh, other spheres, Rosaria Butterfield, a very popular Christian author. She writes about her and her husband's experience in foster care and adoption. and And each of these families note that when you see these children, it, it's no longer sort of Christmas cardish or, mm. or like in a movie, it's real. And this came to my wife and I on January uh, 29th, 2015. I remember the date because January 29th is my wife's birthday. Okay. And at that time, 2015, we were getting ready to start foster care classes. We started in February 2015. Well, on January 29th, her birthday, she was looking at websites where kids are profiled. And we didn't know that these existed until we started to talk with people and begin to uh, get ready for the classes. But there are several websites that have lists of kids, their pictures and so forth, who are adoptable right here in the United States. and Adopt U.S. Kids, Adopt Us Kids, is, is one of the most popular. But it's, it's like Auto Trader, Tim, and it's so sad. I mean, you, it's, it, it's a website where you put in age, gender, background, uh, what, what you'd be willing to be interested in, and get information on. And we saw our girls on this website, and we printed the picture, put it on our refrigerator, and began to pray for them every night with our kids before we would go to bed, just to pray for these girls. And nine months later, uh, or not nine months, excuse me, 11 months later, in, in December of 2015, they were in our home.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Well, and I love that because it's a pers- you're actually committing to them before they they knew it and even before you knew it, right? I mean, it, it humanized it um, rather than making it transactional.
4: Yeah. yeah. Now, not, not every case is that. going to work out because obviously other couples may get involved or families and be able to take those kids. But for us, they were still available in August after we had all of our training done. We contacted the social workers and began the process. And yes, by December 23rd, that year 2015, they had moved in and uh, we began life together and it, it continues on.
0: Wow.
2: Uh, We're
4: still learning about one another and
2: growing. And what was Christmas uh, like that year? Two days before Christmas. Oh,
4: (laughs) I I write about this in the book, and and listeners, you'll you'll want to get a a copy of the book just to read about that boy. It was hard. It was so hard, because these kids had had such a transition. Everything familiar with them was gone. A new home, a new city, people they knew a little bit, but not all that much. And uh, for us, it was a major transition as well, and it was a very tough Christmas uh, for, for everyone. But now I look back years later and say, oh, Christmas is so fun. It's so good. And seeing these girls grow, seeing what it's done for my older kids, seeing what it's done for my church, uh, wouldn't wouldn't take it back for a moment.
2: Yeah. And you, I know you mentioned that one of the many points is that people have to remember there is that time of transition, which often, you know, you give it six months before things may start to settle in. So don't be surprised. And just some practical wisdom of going from the touchy feelia, you know, tug on my heart kind of a thing, perhaps you may have initially to remember there's there's work to be done. And that's where again cycling back to the whole church being involved rather than in general in life. I really I think you can apply this to anything. We need each other. So whether it's whether it's with the adoption process and providing community or in other ways to to remember. That's why I tell people don't, you know, don't you know, as far as going to church even, literally even if it's just for an hour or two on a Sunday, you know you're going to see other people, and that provides that, that intersection point, so you're not alone. What do you have to offer? In other words, don't keep yourself at home away from everyone because mm-hmm. everyone needs you. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, that's right. So, that's hey, right. by the way, um, congratulations! Right? So on your on your Chiefs finally winning a Super Bowl. Yes.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, yeah. Finally, it's right. Boy, we've had some long years. Some really long years. It's been fun to watch these guys. And uh, although I think most of us in Kansas City are ready for them to get ahead in a game and just stay ahead.
0: <laughs> right. We
4: don't need any more of these, you know, last six minutes of the game, score 20 points and win kind of thing Which or was, whatever it is. That was uh, all
2: their playoff games this year, right? They were behind by large margins, double digits every yeah. time, right? Yeah. Yeah, so in the Super Bowl, yeah. I think one of the announcers said something like... Uh, when, when they when they were trailing by, I don't know, 10 or 20, 15 point, whatever it was, like the the Chiefs have them right where they want them. You know, I was like, well, I don't know. Yeah, if they, that's <laughs> right. That's it. I don't know if they yeah. have them right the where they want and, them.
4: And company, they just work their magic at the end.
2: Yeah. Well, it's fun, and we have that connection. Obviously, the head coach, Andy Reid, was here for years, I think 14 years yeah. with the Eagles, and got them yeah. close. You know, didn't get the job done here. Yep. But that's, uh, a lot of folks are rooting for yeah. him, so. Well, yeah. good. He's a player's coach.
4: It seems like everyone just loves him. You know, he's so colloquial, so genuine.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I used to go to his press conferences here in Philly. He didn't say a lot, but on purpose. He he was all business in a good way. I think he knew the, the yep. idea of the, the value of not being distracted. And uh, yep. keep it like like your courtroom appearance that your lawyer had at least advised you on. Keep it simple. Yes, no. Move forward. Don't yep. get into the weeds. You can cause controversy if you say too many things. So. But uh, anyway, well, good. Well, God bless you. Thank you for taking time to talk with us about the book. Again, uh, Todd Chipman, been our guest, Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. And uh, folks can certainly look that up online and and hopefully be challenged and encouraged by that, whether you're a church leader or a pastor or perhaps uh, someone in the congregation. So thanks again, Todd.
4: You're welcome, Tim. Thank you so much, brother. God bless
2: you. Absolutely. And if you want to win a copy, 610-500-DOVE is the number to text, 610-500-3683. That's your first and last name and the word home. We'll draw some winners off the air around 515, so you have a few minutes to get in on that. Again, 610-500-DOVE. Also, congratulations to Karen and Philly and Wendy and Holland on winning a spot at the buffet for the WFIL Listener Party at China Garden in Willow Grove. That's this coming Sunday, noon till 3, 995 Adults and 595 Kids 12 and under, but You could win a spot like Karen and Wendy just did. Details and the chance to win that spot, or perhaps a table of four buffets, by clicking the contest tab at WFIL.com. Looking forward to our famous Friday show tomorrow. Should be a lot of fun. I have no idea what we're going to do, but it'll be fun when we get there. In the meantime, we pass the baton to Jim Maxim, Acts 413 Ministries. He leads in prayer next. Then uh, Alistair Begg with Truths for Life follows that. Have a great night.